Hey, homies. Welcome back to another episode of the Uncommon Queens podcast. I'm Lauren Page, and I'm here with Alexis, who has played such a special role in my life for the past, I guess, couple years, year. Um, Alexis, welcome, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Lauren. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, so gosh, a little bit about me. I'm from the middle of nowhere, Illinois. Shout out to all my rural queens who live (laughs) in the middle of cornfields. Uh, That's where I grew up and um, have a background in marketing and have worked in the tech space for about six years before I started my own business. And in July of 2020, launched my coaching and consulting company called Deeper Life. I also have a podcast called Deeper Life, which Lauren was just on. So yeah. we'll have to make sure to link to your episode on that too. Um, but yeah, I work with millennial women and help them navigate through confidence, life changes, negotiating salaries, just those big transitions in life. And I coach them through those those different situations. And the beautiful thing about coaching is it's really just listening and asking questions and helping someone dig into that clarity. Um, it's very rare for us to have someone to go to that just listens to us and asks questions. It doesn't give us advice. Right. Right. Um, and so that's what coaching is. It's really beautiful. And I'm really thankful for all my clients and it's been a really fun year so far. Yeah. I was one of your clients at one yes. point. So that was kind of my introduction to coaching and how I kind of got into it and why I loved this particular like industry and way um, because I've done, like I've mentioned before in past episodes, I've done um, counseling and therapy, but I just value the, what you said, someone listening and guiding you forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that was really kind of my spark and introduction, but what did you want to be when you were younger and what do you, I guess you said what you do now, but what did you want to be when you were younger? Yeah. When I was younger, I wanted to be a lawyer. I am an eight on the Enneagram and not that I believe that Enneagram numbers are everything too, just a caveat, but, um, I do find myself very, very justice oriented Mm -hmm. and really wanting to help people have a voice. And so from a very young age, I saw lawyers on TV advocating for people and I love that. And they're like, they're always a woman in like a power suit, like being Mm -hmm. a total rock star. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll be a lawyer. And then I realized you had to go to school forever. And I was like, I'm not a school person and C's get degrees, baby. So I just realized like, I, you know, how could I advocate and help people outside of being a lawyer? And so that's really cool. Like now I get to help people advocate for their needs, but more on a coaching and emotional growth side of things instead of the legal side of things. But yeah, it's interesting how those two things are connected. Yeah, I don't think I knew that about you, but I always think I always ask that question because I think there's always like a thread, like what you just said, there's always a thread of like what you wanted to do when you were younger and like how that um, manifestor shows up in your life now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always love asking that question. And the thing that I love about you is you have this like boldness and this just empowering sense about you to kind of go after what you love Mm -hmm. no matter like what it looks like to other people and so it's inspiring to me and I was always wondering this like where did this confidence and boldness come from to like I know you had several businesses before um Mm -hmm. deeper life and like where did that come from and like from such a young age yeah 
I think if I could pinpoint it down, it's that I've always felt different and I've always longed to belong Mm -hmm. and coming from such a small town, my parents actually weren't from here. They were kind of transplants and where I'm from, everyone's related. Everyone knows each other's last names. And so, um, my graduating class was 26 students, just to give you like a, a idea of how small my community that I came from is. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the right last name. You know, I, I wore different things to school and even from, it's interesting how those things in your school years, like I'm seven years old and remember, a student telling me that I didn't belong, like literally like you don't belong here because like, I can't even pronounce your last name. And that's such a, that's such a small thing. Right. But I was seven and that started to, to kind of ingrain this idea of differentness. And I think we're all different in our own ways. Um, and also different isn't better. Difference, just different. And I think that we can sometimes like wear this badge of like, I'm different. And then that lends itself to superiority, mm-hmm. which I did struggle with. It was like, okay, well, if, if everyone's going to tell me I'm different, um, then I'm just going to be really different and I'm going to be better than everyone else, uh, mm-hmm. which that didn't play out very well. And that doesn't lead to any kind of connection, but you know, when you're like 13 and you're getting picked on, it just, fe- it just feels right. You know, you're like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. be different. I'm going to be better than all of you. Um, and that, that through healing, honestly, and awareness, realizing how much I carried that into my confidence, which is there's a difference between foundational confidence and performative confidence and foundational confidence is when you are so connected to your inner self, to your gifts, to your spiritual gifts, to your, your personality, the way you communicate, you're in touch with your wounds, you know, what you're working on. Like, like you can find confidence in your innate ability So that's a part of just like my being, and -hmm. then I can find foundational confidence in my skills. So what I'm doing, but that can shift into performative confidence, which watch me accomplish, watch me perform, watch Mm -hmm. me be different and be better. Mm -hmm. And that was a level of my confidence in my early years. I really had to shift back to that and find that core confidence in me that wasn't tied to anyone's opinion. It wasn't tied to any kind of success. It was really just like, I know that I can do this because I believe in myself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's important to know how you're motivated as well. Are you internally motivated? Are you externally motivated? Uh, I'm very internally motivated. So Mm -hmm. if someone tells me to go do something, I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) whereas like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say no, but there has to be value and a real inner connection and inner motivation for me to go do that. And Mm -hmm. I was externally motivated because it meant, you know, it meant attention. It meant validation. And when I shifted my perspective to being foundationally confident and really internally motivated, it felt me, it, it allowed me to feel more connected to my why. And it made my intention so much more clear. You know, my, my intentions were to help other people, to add value, to make, to make my life worth something and to encourage people instead of I'm going to lift myself up Mm. and, and I'm going to, I'm going to do that at the expense of other people, Um, which I think it's a really interesting balance where you can kind of, you have to be really aware of why you're doing what you're doing. So, I mean, in short, that was a little (laughs) of a long answer. No, I Um, love it. 
but yeah, can you tell I have my own podcast (laughs) (laughs) solo cast too, you know, (laughs) Um, but yeah, so to, to answer that, I think it's my, my confidence and my businesses early on came from a place of proving to other people that I belonged and that I could do it. And there was this very big chip on my shoulder. It was like almost, I'm going to be successful from a vindictive place, from Mm -hmm. a revenge place. Like I'm going to show people that I can do this with or without their support. Right. And then over, honestly, in my early twenties, that really shifted, um, to, okay, I want to prove to myself and I want to do this from a place that's honoring and respectful and, Yes, those things were hurtful, but I don't have to carry them anymore. Um, I can let those things go and I can create and help people from a place that's really um, like honoring and and honestly kind of pure. Like this is a, it's a pure thing uh, Mm -hmm. to, and yeah, it's a pure thing to want to help from a good place instead of from this place of like, I'm going to get mine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause I think I thought I was a two in college and then now I'm exploring, I think I'm a four on the Enneagram. Mm Mm-hmm. And we can get a bad rap, uh, <laughs> but that's kind I of- I love fours. Some of my best friends are fours. Pain <laughs> point is like feeling misunderstood. Yes. And like the reason that I'm like, I might be a four is because that's been played a lot of like my childhood wounds of like, like you were talking about, um, even like familially, all those things. And so I definitely relate. That's why part of this podcast is called Uncommon Queens because I just- want people to explore their unique traits and why they were created the way they were created and everything like that. So I yeah. definitely understand where you come from when mm-hmm. I was definitely motivated by like, okay, well, I'm just going to be like sassy about it. And like, totally. Wrong. <laughs> so- <laughs> I had a massive attitude, you know, and sometimes I have to like work on that. You know, it's just that awareness of like, okay, where is this coming from? And why did I respond that way? Or like, oh, there's some more healing to do here. You know? Yeah. yeah. It is surprising the way it comes up in different either conversations or when you're thinking about something. So, totally. but I remember when you were coaching me, I definitely didn't think about me being internally or externally motivated. And I think I said I was externally motivated. I'm still like, I am internally motivated and externally motivated at some points because like I wanted to do something since I was young and now I'm finally doing it. Mm. But I think maybe if it wasn't for me putting myself in a situation in this coaching program, would I have actually done it? So, and like had people like encourage me and guide me in that way. So I'm like, there's just a, it's just a dichotomy of both. Right. And it might be a layered thing too. Like I am externally motivated in certain areas of my life and I'm internally motivated specifically in my career. Like, like that area of my life comes solely from me. Um, but I do find motivation externally in different segments of my life too. So I wonder if there are areas where you're more internally motivated and then there's areas where you're more externally motivated. Right. Right. There could be for sure. But speaking of like those terms, Mm -hmm. what I always admired about you and like loved and help has helped me is that you you're so intentional about your language and like how you, you say movement instead of always like exercise 
or, you know, exploring like boundaries or something like that. You always are so intentional. How did you make that shift or when did that like happen? Yeah. Well, language is really, really powerful and how we use it can influence our behavior and it can influence our connection to ourselves and to other people. Mm -hmm. So if I was using language to you, that was really off-putting or didn't feel inclusive or was just kind of like, where is she, what is she talking about? It's going to create a space of disconnection. And Mm -hmm. so I use language as a source of connectivity. So when I'm thinking about, okay, I want to feel connected to this. I want to feel, um, like I'm doing this with a purpose, like I'm being really mindful Mm -hmm. and I'm pulling through like respect and kindness and everything I say, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be natural that I'm going to lean more towards connective language. So when I think about my relationship with my body, I think about, movement. I think about nutrition. I think about a lot of things. I think about fashion, like how I express myself, what clothes I wear, but also how I feel naked. Like how, you know, how am I feeling in my body and how am I showing up? Mm -hmm. And I realized through, I was a collegiate dancer and, uh, through being a dancer, you know, your body type is a lot and coaches can be very hurtful and very direct about your body type. Mm -hmm. And it actually had less to do with me and more to do with the look that my coach was trying to have the dance team, like look a certain way. And I'm five, five and curvy. You know, I don't have a, I'm not very tall. So this, you know, I I can't, can't really do a whole lot about that. And that was my freshman year of college, right. Where, I mean, respectfully, I was in a, in a very, like, I was probably in a different place. Um, and probably my healthiest, right? Like I'm 18. Um, and so those kinds of things and, and that behavior and those patterns that that experience put in me Mm -hmm. was counting calories and, you know, having an app where I was keeping track of everything I ate and was in the gym twice a day and just started to create a really unhealthy relationship with food and feeling bad. Like, Oh, I'm being bad. I am, this is a bad food. Um, like really even labeling my behavior or what I would eat as bad. And then there was shame attached to that. Mm -hmm. And so then there was just shame attached to working out in general, because if I was moving my body, which now I call it movement, but if I was exercising or working out, it was connected to these really bad patterns and, and honestly bad memories of how it made me feel. And so it's like, gosh, this is supposed to make me feel good. And it's making me feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And so okay, not only is there a mindset shift, but maybe the, the way I engage with it needs to change my language around it needs to change. And so that was really what started for me in my mid twenties, particularly whenever I realized, okay, my hormones are shifting. I'm now in my late twenties. Um, my body is changing and I want to live a long time. So what do I need to do to live a long time? I need to be more mindful of my nutrition and I need to move my body because that scientifically is good for me. It's good for my heart. It's good for my mental health. I struggle with depression. And so getting outside and, and moving my body does positively impact my mind, but I still had that negative connotation of like exercise. It just felt so, felt so weighted to me. Um, and so I wanted to free myself from the experience. So I renamed it movement. 
And there's a lot of areas in my life where I will try to shift the language um, to help me release things I don't need to carry anymore Mm -hmm. so that I can almost like redefine my relationship with it. If it is something I want in my life. And I do want to, um, have a healthy relationship with my body and food. And so that looked like me changing the way I spoke about it. Right. That's so good. Cause I think that's something that I want to be better about just as I'm noticing like family members and everything is I have, I do have a interesting relationship with movement because I had a brother who was so athletic and so gifted in that area. And so I thought that I needed to do sports. I thought I needed to be successful in that area. And because he was getting all the accolades, all the awards in the newspaper, on TV, all the things. And so I was like, oh, but I'm not athletic enough. And that kind of messed with my mind, to be honest. And then I was like, no, but my gifting doesn't have to be in sports and doing that stuff. And so now I still have kind of a weird, like relationship where I'm like, Oh, I don't like some negative connotations, Yeah, but you know, this year I really found like walking outside around parks, like that just calms me and is good for my mental health. But I do, cause I know like I have a little bit of scoliosis and like my hips kind of are not always even do that. And so I know I want to stretch more and like do more thing. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily weights, but just do more for my body in that area. But I admire you. You like go the gym honestly gives me anxiety. I'm not even going to lie. Me too. (laughs) But I not anymore, but it used to for sure. When I see you in there, cause I'm just like, she's by herself and she's there. I'm like, this is a queen, a queen. (laughs) Well, I do. I mean, it kind of comes back to the, like my, one of my biggest truths I live by is everything's connected. Mm -hmm. And so if we can look through the lens of connectivity, then we can see how like your relationship with movements connected to this memory with your brother and those expectations of feeling like you have to be good at sports. And so that's now years later, still impacting the way that you show up and the way that you look at things. And so when you have that awareness, you can carry through, okay, what's true now? Like Mm -hmm. that felt true then what feels true now. And like, I used to think that the gym was like, especially when I would go in Nashville, I lived in Nashville for about five years post-grad and the gym was like, so masculine, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, well, there was no female male lifting area. It was all one area, which now I like, Cause I don't think it should be separate. I don't think females should have to go somewhere else to work out, right. um, but like just the bro-ness and yeah. like looks or like being nervous about what I wore and like, just not feeling comfortable or secure. Mm-hmm. I read a book, um, or no, I listened to a podcast actually about building the habit of movement. And it was like, even if you go to the gym, just walk around and do a lap and leave. You're building up this familiarity with this place Mm -hmm. that can open up access to growth. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, literally I would, I would go to the gym and I would jump on the treadmill and walk for five minutes and literally leave because I was trying to build up this sense of security and, and rhythm where that place felt safe to go, where that, that place 
felt safe to transform. Whereas mm-hmm. before it really didn't. So, um, now I look at the gym, um, I call it the house of movement, which is like yeah. so cheesy, but like, I whatever. Okay. <laughs> now I call the house, like the house of movement feels very liberating. It feels very free. I wear things I never would have worn to the gym two years ago. I love yeah. like wearing matching sets and like really showing up in my feminine self. And, and it doesn't have to be a masculine or a feminine. It can be a neutral space. And so like, how can the gym not be good or bad? How can it literally just be a place with some equipment um, that can it give you some access to mental freedom or physical freedom or whatever that is that you're looking for? I will straight up just cry in the gym. Like if I'm having a, like a really, really hard week, mm-hmm. I will sometimes find myself lifting weights and I will start to cry because it's very like the mind body connection where you're pushing through lifting, I will literally just start to release tears. And it's like such a, I mean, I don't even care. I don't even care if someone like, yes. oh, this is crying in the gym. <laughs> but like, it's a, it's about me. It's about my journey. And when I can take the focus off of like other people and you know, it's my body, right? So right. When I, whenever I can make that journey really about me, it is very freeing. Mm-hmm. That's so good because I, I remember the time when I was, I took a semester off in college and I was back home. I remember when I, my mom had a trainer at the time and I would, uh, go with her and it was so fun because of the trainer made it fun. Like he would crack jokes. We would talk about life and there wasn't any pressure of like, you need to do this many reps or you need to do this and this timing. Like there wasn't pressure. It was just fun. We were just talking, building a relationship with him, knowing about his life, everything like that. And I'm like, Oh, I want to go back to that. Just that fun. And like, just like Mm -hmm. move, like you're saying, moving your body, having that freedom. And I did see a difference mentally because that then in turn made me more prepared to go back into school and with a a fresh mind, but I'm still kind of like, I don't have the necessarily financial capacity to get a trainer or right go to a class right now like hopefully um soon I will but right now I don't so that's where I'm like how do I like navigate that area but yeah can I share something that like not on the trainer side but on the like walking into the gym and not knowing what to do and then it feels mm-hmm. like anxious right can I share an app that I use yes of course so it's called the sweat app Mm-hmm. And I, you can pick your reasons for using it. Like I, they have equipment free or like you can go into a gym or they have different, um, options so that you can mm-hmm. really craft your circuits or like your rhythms with the app in a way that best suits your needs. And I walk into the gym and I pick what I want to work on that day. And then it'll just like literally send me the whole entire, this is what you're doing. And I give myself the freedom if I'm not there mentally or physically, I'm not pushing myself to finish it. Like it's a, it's a, something I'm working towards. Like I'm working towards finishing this. But when I first started back in, in the rhythm, I wouldn't even finish a whole workout, but it was just the fact that I was there. I was showing up for myself and I was like being intentional. So the sweat app is amazing. And then also like the music, like I listened to this, this uh, playlist on Spotify (laughs) called workout workout. <laughs> it is amazing because it's like it's all female rappers, uh, female R and B. Like it's it's 
speak in my language. It makes me feel super empowered and confident. Um, and I just like walk through the gym, like making the signs in my ears. And I'm like, I cannot lose. Like (laughs) that's how I feel. So I do think like having a, having some sort of plan walking into the gym can also help you if you're in Mm -hmm. that stage where you want a plan, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do gave me anxiety. So I was like, okay, I need to have an app that literally walks me through it step-by-step because if I have to figure this out on my own and they have videos like showing you how to use the equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know how to use half the stuff in there, you know, but the app like teaches me that. And so I feel like I'm also learning anyways, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> yes. But I think I did use the sweat app in college for a bit. And now I would have a different outlook on it and the whole situation. But I think I was so nervous because I overthink. And sometimes I worry too much about what people think of just like, I'm like, just pressing the app, like trying to like, make sure no one sees that I'm like, mm trying to figure this machine out or something like that. But, um, I do want to get, um, I do want to download it back. Cause it was really helpful at the time, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of get your take on that. But I know we mentioned this on the podcast episode that I was on, but I don't know if we fully unpacked it, but I wanted to know like how your body also connects to you know, the clothes that you wear, because I love your style. I love coming on your feed and seeing your outfits from trips or just every day. It's amazing. And I love how you express yourself in that way. Because for me, I think even in like high school and bits of college, like that was a way, like if I, if people didn't see my true personality, I could express it outwardly. Yeah. Um, So that helped me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I love fashion so much. I have ever since I was very little. Um, I remember the things I would wear to school and it would make people laugh, but I didn't even care. Like, okay. Like 25% of me cared and 75% of me was like, I don't care. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. let's be realistic. But I think it was a form of expression. Mm-hmm. It was a form of connectivity too, of like feeling like what I wear is a conversation starter. And so if I'm also able to one show up feeling really confident in what I'm wearing and then start a conversation with another woman about it like Mm -hmm. that, there's nothing I love more than like, Oh, I love your shoes. Where'd you get them? And then, then you can like open up this whole conversation. And even though it might seem surficial, it is a way to talk to people that you normally wouldn't have started a conversation with. Right. So I, I also love that part of it. I did also start and ran a clothing company for three years in college mm-hmm. and into my first year in Nashville called AT Avenue and did traveling trunk shows in women's homes, kind of like a pampered chef model, except it, it was just me. I borrowed money from my grandma and got a business license and just started like buying clothes from LA and bringing yeah. them to my small rural farming community. Love it. But it was amazing. Like they're really cool, unique pieces. And it really got me thinking like my clientele was anywhere from 20, which was the age I was when I started that business Mm -hmm. into people in their mid Mm fifties. And so I was able to connect with women, multi-generational, help them feel beautiful, help them find that outfit for family photos, or maybe their husband. And then we're going on a vacation. Like clothes also have the ability to connect you to memories and how you're showing up in that memory. Um, so I, yeah, I love fashion and I do think too, I will, when I'm feeling really low, 
it's usually connected. I mean, it's connected to other things, but okay. Have I, have I shown up for myself? Have I, have I, have I showered? You know, have I done my, have, you know, like, have I shaved, have Mm -hmm. I shaved my armpits? Like, even though that's little things, but when I was, when I get in really depressive cycles, I will notice how I stop showing up for myself, like physically and not, not like, um, not like going to the gym, but Mm -hmm. even like, you know, I'm in sweats and I haven't showered in four days. Yeah. Okay. So that's gonna, that's gonna continue to really put me in a place. Okay. I'm going to shower. I'm going to do a face mask. I'm going to condition my ends of my hair. Like little Mm -hmm. things like that are also connected to like our physical self and how we show up. And Mm -hmm. that's the side of fashion. I don't think a lot of people think about, but like taking care of your skin and doing like a moisturizing balm on your, on your skin in the shower, like Mm -hmm. taking those little extra steps to take care of yourself when you're in a place where those feel like moving mountains, mm-hmm. it does really give you this, like, okay, I can show up for it, it reinforces that confidence of like, even though I'm not feeling good right now, I'm feeling really low or I'm feeling really depressed. Mm-hmm. I know that I can at least like show up for myself in these ways. And so I also feel like fashion is a tool. It's a mm-hmm. way that I can, um, show up for myself in times where I'm feeling really low or feeling unconfident or insecure. It's like, yeah. Hey, but I've got a bomb ass outfit on. So yes. like, you okay. know, so I think, <laughs> I think that that'll, that'll help me, um, personally, right. you know, kind of remind myself of like, okay, this is who you are, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, this is a part of who we are, but this isn't all of who we are. Mm-hmm. And being able to have that connection to fashion, um, really helps me. Yeah. Same. Actually, I connect with everything you just said, because even at the beginning of 2021, like I was not taking care of myself at a very isolated time, um, very like depressing time. And so, yeah, I was not, you know, let's be honest, I was not showering consistently, <laughs> you yeah. know, and um, I was not showing up for myself and taking care of myself. And just in the past, maybe in 2021, like past, maybe like five months, four or five months, have I just regained my Mm. style back? Really? It's probably three months, (laughs) but regained my style back. And I'm like, Oh, like now I love, like, even (laughs) if I don't see anyone, I'm just like, have my outfit on and feel myself. So yes. And the whole work from home gang like that, like I've actually worked remote the moment I graduated college. Mm-hmm. So I've never like gone into an office and had a reason to dress up either. Yeah. And so in 2020 where I was no longer going out, I was no longer traveling. I was super isolated. And for about a year, all I wore were like, I'm pretty sure everybody else did too, but like just sweats and like leggings and comfort, 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 because it felt like the world around us was kind of falling apart. And so if I could feel comfortable, then, you know, that helped. Um, but even now, like getting, and I work at a co-working space, getting out of the house, even getting dressed up to go to a coffee shop for like an hour, mm-hmm. you know, like totally transforms your day and your energy. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's fun. Like I, I, I never want fashion to be a place of status too. Right. Like yeah. I do think that sometimes fashion, fashion bloggers, fashion influencers can really like push 
and there's nothing wrong with luxury either, yeah. but I'm like a bargain hunter to my core. I've had this top I'm, I, that I'm wearing right now for like six years. Like yeah. I find clothing and I keep it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that there's a way to engage with fashion that can be more sustainable. That can be really mindful. Yeah. Um, that doesn't have to be like super expensive either. It can be accessible. Like thrifting is so big right now. Like yeah. everyone it's and their fun. mom is thrifting and it's fun. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. So, um, if, if you're thinking about playing with fashion, um, you know, there are lots of really cool ways you can do it that won't break your, break your budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also feel realistic for you um, yeah. with where you're at in life. Mm-hmm. That's what my mom taught me is even though it may seem like I purchase items frequently, I will have something like I've had this for even this turtleneck for, I don't even know how long. And my, my one thing that I do like splurging on is handbags, not all the time. Ooh. Not all the time, but (laughs) it's been since I was not like splurging on handbags since I was young, but I loved carrying handbags and I had my little tote, pink tote Mm. when I was younger and I would walk around (laughs) and everything. So sometimes not all the time I'll be like, cause I actually haven't. And since recently, like, did I, it's been a couple of years, but then recently I'm like, I saved up. I, Mm had been accomplishing a lot of things in my life. And so I'm just gonna get mine. But yeah, I do Nashville, as you probably know, great thrifting, great thrifting. Yeah. And I, I love thrifting there. There's also some super affordable boutiques there too. Like if you are wanting to get something new, I do realize like when I'm shopping though, I will go all in, in one category. Like Mm -hmm. there was a, there was a season where I was like, I am jean shopping. And I would just, I would like build my capsule wardrobe on jeans. Mm-hmm. And now I haven't gone jean shopping in years because I have like, I have my six or seven pair of jeans that can go through all seasons. And then I like shift to something else. <laughs> so like this summer I was like, I need two piece matching sets. Like I was just like yeah. going nuts on sets and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm good on the sets. Yeah. And now we're shifting to like, I don't really actually have very many knit like cable knit sweaters or like Mm -hmm. turtlenecks. Um, and so now I'm kind of slowly starting to build that capsule wardrobe up a little Mm -hmm. bit because I do clothing sales once a year and then whatever doesn't sell, I end up donating it. So Mm -hmm. I do clean out my closet, uh, at least like a big overhaul at least once a year. And that helps me, uh, stay like focused on like, okay, this is fresh. I wear this. This makes me Mm -hmm. feel good. And yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good. I love this combo. I've never talked about this before. That's why I know I haven't talked saying? about this on the podcast. But um, I think I forgot I need- that we were recording a podcast. That's when you know that you're friends. Yeah, that's what I. I need to actually. I've been thinking about this recently. I'm like, where are my jeans? Like, just variety. I'm like, yeah. what? What has happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Skinny, skinny jeans are out and like yeah. legs back in. And I'm like, okay, well, when skinnies come back in, in a couple of years, I've got three pairs in the back of my drawer that are ready. You know, yes. <laughs> I've always, I've always focused on tops and like more so. And cause I'm like, oh, it's boring. But now that we have so many options, so many designs and yes. stuff, it's fun. Jean shopping, it can be, well, hard, but fun at the same time. I have like my, I have like a spiritual experience in a made well dressing room. Like all my jeans are made well. Um, 
which I do know that they are expensive. So I want to caveat that. Um, I was buying jeans though, like, because I am curvy and a little bit more petite, small waist and like bigger thighs and a booty. Mm -hmm. It was really difficult to find jeans that fit. And so like, when I do find a brand that really fits my body type, I latch. (laughs) So I like latched onto Madewell denim and I was like, okay, so these are my jeans for life. And Mm -hmm. they're so kind there. And they're like pretty, pretty inclusive on sizing too. Mm -hmm. And like height as well. And so just having the women in there be like, how's everything going? Like, can I find, I don't know. I, that was just like, I usually cry when I jean shop. And about three years ago, I discovered Madewell in 2018. And I was like, I'm never going back. This is amazing. And this is my future. Yep. I, <laughs> I hope they're Madewell. around forever. Yes. I love Madewell. And they've gotten more inclusive. I've seen this year, they've gotten mm-hmm. more inclusive. So I need, yeah, I need to go there for jeans soon. Oh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, back to the deep stuff. <laughs> but no, because we talked about this on your podcast of just, I've noticed myself since I've gained, since I've said I was a coach, I've gained more people, you know, looking at my Instagram stories and everything. And just that dichotomy of like stepping into like me loving and feeling good about fashion again, but also saying deep stuff that has been, as we mentioned, like that has been the dichotomy, Mm -hmm. but I realized, I feel like yesterday that like people love that dichotomy because it's like, yes, she says something deep, but like, she's also like loving the present moment of life. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. in coaching, um, cause I'm also right now in my, I'm halfway through my certification. I'm taking classes on, um, life and leadership certificate. So working towards my accreditation and they always say coach the person, not the problem. And they really walk through coaching a whole person. So it's not just the work issue. It's actually how the work issue is connected to this, 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 and this. And it's about helping the client build that awareness through those different situations. So it's about the person, not the problem. And I do believe as coaches, it's important to show that we are whole people too, Mm -hmm. and that we have rhythms and habits and interests and hobbies and hard times and trauma. And like, we are whole people as well. And I think that whenever we when we have that wholeness perspective, it makes us more approachable coaches instead of this, like, I am serious all of the time, come to me for serious things, Mm -hmm. you know? And like, yes, do that. And we're going to laugh, you know, and we're going to make memories and we're going to find the lightheartedness in this. And, you know, we're going to send each other funny memes. And like that, Mm -hmm. that's a part of one, our millennial culture. Right. And two, it's a part of the wholeness that makes us human instead of really focusing on that deep, hard stuff all the time, that's actually very exhausting and it's exhausting for a client too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do we weave in the wholeness, um, of our humanity instead of just the deep stuff, which is very hard for me. Cause I just want to, I want to live down there. I want to create a little oasis in the depths, (laughs) but that's not where everyone lives. And Mm -hmm. that's actually not where I need to live all the time either. Right. Yeah, that because that's what I mentioned with my other podcast, my friend Destiny is like, we don't do well with like surface level relationships. Yeah, but those (laughs) also serve a purpose. They do. That's what I said on that episode. I was like, they do. But if you're my close, close friend, probably not, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I love what you said, because that's part of what I want to get across 
to clients and just listeners in general is like, we're so multifaceted. There's so many parts to ourselves. Like people yeah. might not know that I love pop punk music. Like, I don't know. Just did you? Do you? Yes. I had a, in, um, was it high school and a little bit of middle school? Like I was deep into, I'm still, I still love Paramore, but I loved Paramore, mm. the main, uh, fallout boy, plain white yes. all the things. Okay? Yeah, that thick eyeliner on girl. <laughs> I didn't go there. No, didn't. I wore like gray skinny jeans and like love. Converse. That was my iconic. Yeah. I love it. My peak. But so I do think that there's so many things that we may not know about people and that it just makes us more of a full person and just, right. I don't know. It makes like you said earlier, like people connect with us in different, different ways. Right. And even like whether you're whether you're working a nine to five, whether you're a student, you have a side hustle, you're a full-time entrepreneur, you are also more than just your career. And being a coach feels so personal. It feels so mission oriented to me that sometimes I have to realize like, this is also my job. This is also what provides me income and having separation from that is good. Like being able to turn that off is good for me. It's good for my marriage. Mm -hmm. It's good for my friendships. Mm -hmm. And being able to bring my whole self into every situation, um, can help me with my energy towards my business as well. Cause if I'm living in business land all day, every day, am I able to create at the same capacity? Am I able to serve at the same capacity in and outside of work? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So I wanted to pivot a little bit cause you kind of, you kind of mentioned it, but I know a lot of people in their twenties, we experience a lot of pivots and a lot of closed doors and shifting in relationships and just growing at a different pace now that we're an adult. <laughs> and yeah. so you've made a lot of pivots and changes and decisions in your life and are still doing that. How did you, I know you left your um, full nine to five job recently in the past, is it year or so? Yeah, um, year and a half. So July of 2020, great time to quit a job too, right in the middle of the yep. pandemic. You Fantastic. Know, it happens. <laughs> I just wanted to know, well, first, when, when did you know it was the right time? And also like, how did you not stand in your own way? Mm. I did stand in my own way. Um, I, I think in every big decision that I've made, I've felt it long before I executed on it. And I, I think it's important to know the difference when we feel a shift of energy, we feel pulled towards something else. We we're like on the cusp of change, mm -hmm. really allow yourself to sit in that before you act. This is just my advice. So, I mean, it, people might yeah. have different approaches, but this is what's worked for me because I am a reactive person. I know that about myself. I can sometimes react and make a choice quicker than maybe I was ready for, which then makes me stand in my own way. Mm -hmm. Like I need to sit and process through a decision and through a change alone first to know how I really feel about it and then go to mentors and people to help coach me through it or give me advice. And then again, back to myself. So it's inner outer inner. Mm -hmm. Um, and that takes time. That's not something yeah. that can just happen in a day or a week. Right. Um, also ask yourself, is this change urgent? Does it need to happen right now? Or is this something that could 
take place in six months? Okay. If I waited until six months, how am I going to feel? Okay. That actually doesn't feel good. What about three months? And then you kind of start walking your, your timeline back from there. Um, that gives us so much space to not feel pressure to make a pivot or make a change that we might not be mentally or emotionally ready to make or financially ready Mm -hmm. to make. So in the case, I knew I was going to leave my nine to five. I started feeling the inklings, right? Almost a year before I did it. Mm -hmm. And then it really became very clear six months before. And then it was, okay, now I've got a plan. Now I've got to figure out what's next. How do I still execute at my best and my best work right. while also carrying the knowledge that I want to be building something else? So that's why I launched the Deeper Life podcast mm-hmm. was I had the awareness that that's the direction I wanted to take my career was into the coaching and consulting space. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to do that, I needed to start building an audience and awareness towards that. Whereas if I just quit my job and started something from scratch, everyone's like, cool, but like, what are you doing? And yeah. what is this? And so, um, because I was also on as a side hustle, I did travel blogging and like fashion influencing for a while while I was living in Nashville, I had built a really beautiful community of people already, mm-hmm. but I was really shifting away from like travel content right. um, and influencer content to like this very deep emotional intelligence, coaching, emotional awareness, like boundaries, decision-making, like very different kinds of topics, not as lighthearted as like, here's what to pack in your overnight bag, you know, which is still important, right? Still fun content to consume is just different. So I had to prime my audience months in advance Mm -hmm. before I made that shift. Um, and then, you know, I I think another big piece of this conversation is like, where are you finding your identity? Because if you're finding your identity in a relationship or in your schooling or in your job, when you make a change, you're trying to move forward, but you're looking in the rearview mirror because you left your identity behind. And I left my identity in my previous company because I was there for four years. I was a very early hire, helped build the company to a multi, multi-million dollar. I had so much emotional connection Mm -hmm. and those people were my family. So I didn't, even though I was preparing external, okay, I'm going to be shifting. I'm going to be starting this business. I didn't do the internal work. I was doing so much external work. I, I buried the internal work and I had to start when I finally quit and transitioned into full-time creator slash entrepreneur, I had to do about six months of like untangling the identity of like, that's not who I am. And I will never attach my identity to what I do ever again. Like my identity has got to be in who I am, my being, Mm -hmm. because if I connect it to my doing, I will always hold on to things longer than I need to. Mm -hmm. I'll always place value in things that probably aren't valuable and I'll end up allowing that to influence my behavior and my decisions Mm -hmm. instead of if, if I know that it's rooted in my being part, that my identity is there. It's in my spirituality. It's, it's Mm -hmm. who I am. Then I can make decisions with so much more clarity and not everything has to be an emotional decision. Things can be logical. And I have to remind myself of that. Like, am I making this bigger than what it is? Is this just this, you know? Um, but I love theatrics, love the drama. And so I can lean into that too much. And like, I know that about myself though. So 
I'll start to pull her back and be like, okay, Hey there, you know, we're really, really going down that path and you reel it on in. (laughs) But I realized that's a part of my process. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think like knowing your identity and knowing yourself and being able to be honest about where you're at and like, gosh, I'm 28 and eight years. My life has changed significantly. Mm -hmm. I had a business. I wrote a book. I worked for a New York times bestselling author. Mm-hmm. I started a travel blogging content creation company. Then I worked for an email marketing software for four years. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a solo creator. Like maybe I'll go back full time. Maybe I'll, I mean, I don't even know, but yeah. I think the beautiful part about that is I am receptive to change. And even though it's hard, I know that through every change, I'm learning skills that can help me navigate life in a more healthy way. And that I get to help other people with, like, I'm like, what skills can I gain that I can help other people with? And that's, that's a part of the change process that I didn't always think of. Cause it was like very victim, like this Mm -hmm. is happening to me. This is hard. Yes. And how can we pivot the mindset, the language? And it's like, gosh, look at all the skills I'm going to learn. And, Mm -hmm. you know, think about how I'm going to navigate this. I'm going to look back 12 months from now and gosh, where I was in January, I made $0 in January, mm-hmm. January, 2021. I made, I brought in zero income and now I make consistent income every single month and it continues to grow. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, working towards a sustainable, profitable business. Mm-hmm. But if I was, if I was judging myself and basing my success and my future off of January of 2021, I wouldn't be where I am now. So it's kind of like a healthy detachment from, I don't, that's not who I am. I am always changing and I can, I can evolve and I can shift at any time. And I'm not going to find my success or my identity in this one moment in time. Mm -hmm. All that. (laughs) (laughs) That was so good. I needed to hear that. Wow. Oh, okay. (laughs) This is why I have a podcast because I'm like, I need to write these notes. Okay. (laughs) I love it. And yeah, it's, it's such an evolution, Lauren. It really is like, it's such a beautiful metamorphosis of just who we are as human beings and really like lowering the stakes. Yeah. You know, no one's dying. Yeah. Like, and I, and I don't mean that like if someone is dying in your life, I am, that is a different situation. Right. Um, but it's not life or death. Mm. And I think when we can lower the stakes of like, okay, is this life or death? it does make things a little bit more concrete of like, okay, this job is making me miserable. Being here is actually depleting my energy and making me depressed, impacting my mental health. Okay. It's an easy, I need to leave. Now I just got to make a plan to leave and do that strategically. But when it comes down to it, like life is so much more important and like how that thing or that decision is impacting my life as a whole is, is the, where I want to focus that attention. Yeah. Cause that's why I love being your client is because I think it's so easy. I've grown up in an environment where it's like your career, what's your career? What are you doing? The stability of that full-time job, like what is your next move kind of thing? And it, I know that personally in my values, I don't want to live for a career. Mm-hmm. And so you helping me navigate that was very, very healing and also 
just put things in perspective for me because I know that I'm not what I'm, what I'm doing. Like, and that's just, I feel like for everyone, it's just so refreshing and knowing that change and pivoting is a good thing. And that can add value to who you are as a person inside a career or job and outside of that in your everyday life. Yeah. I just think that's where like freedom begins, honestly. I agree. Definitely internal. And I do, as you were talking, I want to caveat, like having choices and being able to pivot is a privilege. Yeah. Like not being a, like there are people in circumstances who do not have that. And I, I want to acknowledge that and acknowledge that if you're in that place, as we're having this conversation, you might feel removed from what we're saying. And I, I just want to acknowledge that that's true. And, um, I acknowledge my privilege to be able to make choices, to leave a full-time career. And, you know, because, and this is the part of being a creator, being an influencer that a lot of people don't talk about is I was able to lean on my husband's income while I was building my business. You know, like it's not this glamorized, oh, we're making six figures a year. And I did it all on my own. Like my husband's covering our costs of our living so that I can build a business. Yeah, And that is a part of this that is sometimes behind the shadows of when people make these decisions. So I just wanted to be clear about that. Like I recognize my position in this situation is I would not be able to be full-time Um, I would not be able to be a full-time coach if I didn't have my husband's income supporting our living expenses as I've been able to actually like build the business up and for it to be profitable to live off of that takes time. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. No, thank you for saying that. And, and I do, I think sometimes I put shame in my privilege and like, want to like Mm. downplay it and be hum like be like too like humble and like, Oh my gosh, like people are going to think this and this and that, but no, I do want to recognize that privilege that even I, I have because of the privilege to leave grad school, you know, the privilege to be saving money and not, you know, be in my parents' environment and not have to, you know, pay for certain things and also step into, uh, the power of that privilege and giving that and giving something back to other people in that privilege. Yes. Like I think that if you have privilege, the first question is how can I leverage this privilege to benefit someone else? Like I'm always thinking about that. Like, okay, I have this privilege. And so what am I going to do with it? That's going to serve someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, not like, how am I going to steward it? How am I going to stockpile it? More of like, okay, if I have this, then I need to steward it well. And I need to serve other people with it. Um, so yeah, that, that is something I, through the last couple of years in particular, just even recognizing that goes back to our conversation around language. Like, is my language inclusive? Is my language, um, give access to the conversation for, uh, for all people. And, um, that's something I've really tried to practice because it's one, it's a huge part of like my heart. Um, and also, I do think that there, there's not one size fits all like any advice, any coach, any book you read, it's not one size fits all. And so if you have the ability to look at, okay, everyone has different unique situations and different backgrounds. How can I honor that in the way that I speak? Um, but I don't know, that's just been something I've been 
like really trying to practice in the last couple of years in particular. Right. Yes, it is important. And I know as we're coming to a close, this time has been so good. I've always, I don't think we ever talked about it, but just one last question of just a part of change in life is relationships, romantic relationships. And I just love your dynamic with your partner, Matthew. I -hmm. just, it's, it brings a refreshing, just take, especially on social media of just how you navigate, how y'all communicate and just learning communication styles and everything. Yeah. But I would say, what is your piece of dating and then also marriage advice? Yeah. I love this conversation. I could talk about this for like a whole other hour. Um, first off, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. That is something that we, that I've tried to be intentional about is showing like all the aspects of a relationship, not just like the couple goals, like, Mm -hmm. you know, a relationship is again, like the whole thing. It's holistic. Um, Matthew and I dated for five and a half years before we got married and we were, we dated long distance the whole time. And now we're also in a long distance marriage. (laughs) We have a very, I have an unconventional approach to love. Like Mm -hmm. I have an unconventional approach to a lifelong partner. Um, so again, I just want to caveat that, that this is not a one size fits all advice, but I think it's incredibly important to have your individualism inside the relationship. Mm -hmm. I think that helps with combating codependency and we are not dependent on each other very early on in our relationship. We took the approach that I choose you. I do not need you. Mm. And I know that can sound very harsh. And I don't, I mean that with the most love and respect to my partner, but we wake up every single day and we choose each other. And when you have that kind of energy, you make decisions differently. You, you advocate for yourself differently. But when I come into a relationship and I say, I need you, I need you so bad. And you need me. I compromise my voice. Mm-hmm. I will change the way I make decisions because I'm trying to people please. I'm trying, which people pleasing can then turn into manipulation. Mm-hmm. Well, if I please you, then, then I expect you to hopefully please me. Right. And so mm-hmm. uh, being able to keep our individualism inside the marriage has been really important so that we are able to have those choices. Even when you're married, marriage is a choice. Mm-hmm. And that gives you agency. It gives you confidence. It gives you advocacy over the relationship and inside the relationship. So I think if you can approach your relationship like that and also anything's on the table, mm-hmm. like any thought, any disagreements, any hurt, any, like everything is on the table. We don't hide anything. So I, early on in our relationship, we read a lot of marriage books. We read a lot of relationship books. Like when we were dating, we were reading like books about marriage and books about healthy relationships. And that was one of the ways that we stayed connected long distance is we would read a book and then we would get on the, uh, like a, you know, once a week, no, we didn't talk once a week. We talked way more than once a week, but <laughs> once a week, we would then talk about what we read. Mm-hmm. And that I totally recommend that, like whether it's a podcast with your partner or a book, um, how do you build that connectivity of shared language and shared experience? Because it's very bonding, um, and it can really connect you, but that was something that we very much early on, like, even whenever you're approaching other people, oh, that person's attractive. Okay. Well, if I feel that way, I'm going to tell Matthew, 
I saw like, and, and that turns into, because the reason why crushes and cheating and all that happens is because it's a secret. Yeah. And when you feed into the secrecy, then it turns into something so much larger. And so like, this is about faith and being faithful and being trustful inside of a relationship is just being able to speak those things out very clearly or like, Hey, this person said something to me at work that made me feel very uncomfortable and I don't want to keep it a secret, but I felt like they had different intentions and I want to tell you about it right now. Like though, even those slight little things, just pay attention to what you're keeping a secret inside your relationship. Mm -hmm. And is it because you don't feel safe to say it? Is it because you might feel judged? Like, is there shame attached to that secret? And, um, being able to have everything out in the open allows us to navigate with so much trust in the relationship Mm -hmm. that I'm never worried, you know, because we're long distance too. Like I'm never worried about him and he's never worried about me because we just carry that sense of honor and respect for each other, um, throughout the relationship. So, I mean, that was, those are just a few things that come to mind. Um, but yeah, have your own hobbies have your own stuff, like just being able to be a woman on my own and Mm -hmm. I'm choosing him is such a different dynamic than like, well, he's the man and I'm the woman. So Mm -hmm. I'm below him Mm -hmm. and he gets to make the decision. I mean, every dynamic's different, but like we really approach our relationship as a, as a partnership. Mm -hmm. We were even talking about this. Definitely. If you're like in a serious relationship, read the book, saving your marriage before it starts. Wow. There's a female book okay. and a male book. And then there's also a workbook for female and male. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, like we were talking about household dynamics before we got married. That's like good. we were talking about like, who does the dishes? Who did you watch as a child do the dishes? Mm. Who did you watch as a child pay the bills? Mm-hmm. And those are the things that subconsciously end up inside of our marriages or inside of our partnerships. Right. And so being able to call out the dynamics of our parents helped us navigate, okay, what did we like and love from those situations? And what would we like to make different in our, in our relationship? So I highly recommend that because yeah. we have a household that's like, it's about equality. Like mm-hmm. it's equal. And I don't do something just because I'm a woman and he doesn't do something just because he's a man. Yeah. And so when we approach those gender roles, we'll even call it out too when it happens of like, oh, that was an interesting, like, you know, male, female dynamic there. Like 1950s. Again, like, it's, it's, yeah. It's all on the table. <laughs> yeah. And so we can just talk about anything and it, it lowers the pressure to say the right thing, do the right thing. Like we can just be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are some, those are some things that come to mind. Those are good. I'm going to have you on talk about relationships, talk about relationships. I'd be happy to. Yeah. I have like a whole novel. <laughs> we, actually, Matthew and I recorded a podcast this morning of like an end of year, what we've learned. Cause we've been married for two years, what we learned this year and just different things. And he goes, yeah, we've been married for two whole years. Like we're practically experts at this point, <laughs> which we are not, we are not. And, um, yeah, how we handle conflict, like the whole thing is very interesting and it, I I definitely believe in therapy, Mm. like, and not even couples therapy. I think like the, both individuals going to therapy on their own and working through their own stuff, um, pre-marriage during marriage, all of it. Um, because whenever you do couples therapy, the therapist is coaching the couple, Mm -hmm. but when you do therapy on your own, like the therapist is, is helping the individual Mm -hmm. and so much of marriage is working on yourself. 
and yeah. owning your own stuff or any relationship, mm-hmm. not just marriage. Um, it's about working on yourself and owning your own crap mm-hmm. and how, and then owning how you bring that into the relationship. So that's why I'm a big believer in like individual therapy. Um, maybe even before couples therapy, because yeah, that's just my thoughts on that. But I have, I have very strong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for bringing those strong opinions to this podcast. <laughs> Uh, but no, thank you so much for real, for taking the time out of your day. I know we ran over, but oh, it's okay. so much. Um, where can we find you on social media and all the things? Yes, girl. First off, thank you for everything you're doing and the community that you're, you've created. And it's an honor to be included on the podcast and to share with you and just not only on the podcast, but to be your friend. And you've been such a constant source of encouragement for me. Um, this whole year of just really believing in me. And when I think of like the top five people this year that have consistently showed up for me or encouraged me, you are one of those five people. So thank you so much for giving that consistency and just, um, believing in me in moments where you probably didn't even know it, but I didn't believe in myself. And Mm -hmm. just having that from you was so meaningful to me. So Thank you so much. Um, you can follow me at Alexis Tyke Miller on Instagram. It's where I'm most active. And then you can also listen to the podcast deeper life. You can find that on Spotify, iTunes, and I put out two episodes a week. I do a solo cast on Tuesdays, and then I do an interview based podcast on um, Thursdays. So you can have just me like the coaching me and like what's <laughs> going on in life, what I'm learning. And then the interview base, which is, you know, with different, different people that I talk about deep, deeper life with. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. Thank you so much for that. I, I just love encouraging you and believe in all the things that you're, you're doing. So, um, it's a joy and honor to do it. So thank you, uh, thank you homies for listening. And I hope this helps you today, tonight, or tomorrow. Talk to you soon.